Next hit him with the new blue and white. Just be cool. Hat number eight. Jordan's unlaced with the two straps. This is not a Everybody, game. Back Judge Podcast. Super Bowl preview. I'm Adam Klepp. Tommy Murray. Lee Murray. On the horn. Boys, uh, are we ready for the big game? Can't wait. Bart Scott. I can't wait either. I think this is the first uh, Super Bowl preview we've done. I mean, we missed last year, I think. So we, uh, we're we back in the Super Bowl preview, which I like to see. We're a busy gang of guys, man. We, no, every yeah. time around February, it's when, it's when business picks up a lot. I love it, but I'm happy that we could all get together. <laughs> we could all get together, you know, for, for the big game. Um, super excited to talk Super Bowl. Definitely a couple wrinkles that the back judge will always bring to you. Um, also, you know, potentially toss some other items around. I've had some things rattling in my brain. Uh, I've been kind of just sending to in, in spurts of text messages to Lee. Um, and then also even potentially wanted to revisit, um, not for too long, but potentially just revisit some Stafford stuff. My brother texted me saying he listened to the, to the podcast and felt that we were um, not too excited about the deal, um, which I feel like definitely could have come across due to the fact that Lee and I were uh, it was it was not the the highest energy of podcasts you could say. There was there was just some outside circumstances uh, there, there going were. on, um, and uh, and Tommy didn't get to kind of share his piece either. And so um, you know we'll get into that stuff uh, later down the line. But uh, of course, uh, the the bell of the ball, the Super Bowl, the Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers becoming the first team in NFL history to play in the Super Bowl in their home stadium. Tom, uh, Tom Brady bringing the team there for uh, in, in his first season as the quarterback of the Buccaneers. His 10th appearance, uh, I believe, pretty, uh, pretty incredible by him. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. Um, Lee, this is your prediction, buddy. It is indeed. Um, should I kick this thing off? Well, I mean... I don't know. I, I kind of I know. I think I know. You know where where you're yeah. you're gonna take it. Perhaps. So maybe I'll just I'll take the reins. I guess really take the quickly. Um, you know the back judge. You know we try and bring you the different angles. Sometimes you know we we try and figure out you know where maybe other people aren't aren't looking when they take their eye off the ball. Perhaps. But I don't I don't know. To me, I don't really think there's much to big brain uh, with this matchup. Um, I think I'm gonna pick the Chiefs to win the game. Uh, I think last year, Patrick Mahomes for the first three quarters of the game was, you know, somewhat nervous, not totally comfortable or confident. And then you saw him kind of finally pull it all together, uh, in the fourth quarter. And then the chiefs won the game. I just think if Patrick Mahomes plays four quarters of football that he's capable of playing, I don't know if the Buccaneers, uh, have too much of a chance what I think will potentially make a big difference, I mean, last year Eric Fisher got pretty worked um, by that 49ers defensive front, but he is not playing, so it'll be a backup left tackle uh, in for the Chiefs. And obviously we saw Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett really get after Aaron Rodgers against you know a backup left tackle because Bakhtiari was out and Rick Wagner on the right side, which us as Lions fans know uh, is not the best of options. Uh, when you're talking about that right tackle spot, so I definitely think that Bucks pass rush um, could make a really you know big difference and and could keep the Buccaneers in this game. And the thing, the truth of the matter is, honestly, for impressive, for as impressive as Brady has been this year, for as impressive as the run has been for the Bucks in the playoffs, 
It's been this defense, especially in the Saints and Green Bay Packers games, that has gotten them to this point. You back to the Saints game, they were picking off Drew Brees left and right. In the Packers game, they're forcing a couple turnovers and also forcing those big three and outs after those uh, turnovers by Brady. So it's really been the defense that has kind of brought them uh, to the Super Bowl. The offense hasn't been bad by any means, but I think it's going to take a perfect Bucks game for them to to win this one. And whereas the Chiefs, I just think, have so much more room for error. I mean, we've seen them so many times in the playoffs be down. I mean, last year in the playoffs, they were down by more than, I think, 10 points in every single one of the games they played, and nothing seems to really phase them. I just think if Mahomes plays like he's capable of playing for four quarters, I don't I don't see the Buccaneers uh, coming out with the win in this one. Uh, Tommy, where do you kind of stand? I mean, Clep, there's not a lot to add from my perspective from what you just said. I pretty much wholeheartedly agree with what you said. Um, there's not a lot of game states where I think the Chiefs are you know, dead, like we saw in the Super Bowl last year um, where they were down to the Niners, what, by 10 in the fourth quarter. I mean, their whole run last year um, – we just know what this Chiefs offense is is capable of, and you summed it up perfectly. The room for error, I just think, is so much uh, you know larger on their side than it is on Tampa Bay's side. Um, and you know, Tampa too. Clep, you talked about the defense; that's completely true. And you know, Tom Brady threw three picks in the second half of of that game against Green Bay. I mean, that game, you know, was the whole Green Bay execution side of it away from the narrative being, oh, Tom Brady, you know, threw the game away or whatever. Couldn't really. Uh, compete and I, I think that's a little bit overblown and Clep like you I try to look at this game and, and not try to big brain it too much and not try to think about the stage and kind of a, a lot of the narratives going in because it is really easy for me I mean when this matchup was first made I was like all right the, I think the Chiefs are going to win this and I'm pretty confident in it but within the last two weeks you know just kind of the the mythos of Brady and kind of the figure that he is and and you know all the narratives that are coming up for this game have kind of you know made me a little bit more you know, interested in Tampa side. And also, Clap, I think you bring up an, a great point with Eric Fisher and the left tackle and what that Tampa Bay pass rush has been able to do um, throughout the playoffs and throughout the season with, with Shaq Barrett um, and JPP, who are playing at a really high level, and, and the defense overall. Um, but, you know, I just think that Tampa is hot right now, and this game should be a lot better than the first game where, you know, Kansas City let Tampa backdoor and whatever it was, week week, week 12 or whatever it was. Um <clears throat> So, you know, overall, I just think that can Tampa win this game? Yeah, I think they, you know, they have a shot at winning this game. And if Brady's clutch and doesn't turn the ball over and they're able to secure a lead against Kansas City, which seems, you know, like probably the toughest thing in the NFL to do right now, then, yeah, they, they can 100% win this game. And it, it is Tom Brady. But overall, I just think Kansas City has the higher ceiling. I think they have better coaching. Um, and, you know, I think Kansas City's defense comes to play as well, too, with Tyron Matthew and, and you know, what they're doing with Spagnuolo. So overall, I just think that, I, you know, this is going to be Kansas City, the start of their kind of, you know, dynasty. It's kind of a, a torch handoff, a symbolic torch handoff. And, you know, so I, I just can't wait for this game. Um, I'm really excited, but, you know, I just think, think Kansas City's aside. Well, boys, I'm picking the Bucks. Um, it's no secret. And I think you guys are basically waxing the public chalk poetic. And um, it, it's, it's, first of all, I want to get one thing. Lee's in the trenches with Mattress I, Mac. I, I just want to first say, I think the addition of Vita Vea to the defense is huge. I think we saw the dress rehearsal in week 12, like Tommy mentioned. And I do not think that the, you know, Tyreek Hill is going to go for 200 yards and three touchdowns again. Um, and I think Tampa Bay has all this offseason talk about how good Tampa Bay could be. We didn't see that until about week 13. 
week 12, week 13. And Tampa Bay has been the best team in the NFL since week 13, period. I think their defense is better than Kansas City's. And with all the, th the stuff you want to say about Mahomes last year in the fourth quarter and the heroics, Jimmy Garoppolo had the ball with the chance to win the game with a couple minutes left in the game. And if Tom Brady has that opportunity, he will win the game. The, the Tampa Bay defense is going to present issues for Patrick Mahomes. Todd Bowles, is, like I said with Green Bay, Green Bay was the best offense in the NFL last week after the Rams game. If you want to talk about based off what happened in the divisional round the week before, Green Bay looked unstoppable on offense. Tampa Bay absolutely stifled Green Bay three times in the fourth quarter. It was extremely impressive. This Tampa Bay defense has three levels of elite players on their defense. Antoine Winfield is 100% healthy. Vita Vea is back. The KC O-line is banged up. I think this D-line is going to eat. I think these linebackers are not going to completely stop Kelsey. He's going to get his. But I think they're going to stop him enough to stymie this Kansas City offense and force Patrick Mahomes to do things in this offense to do things that I guess they're not. They're still going to They're going to get theirs. Don't get me wrong. The Chiefs offense is going to score. But they're going to be forced to do things that they're not accustomed to doing because this is the second matchup and because Tampa Bay's defense is this hot. And I just think if you want to talk about kind of the emotional side of it, the hardest part, in my opinion, for the Buccaneers was getting here. Now they're here. They won the three road games in the playoffs. They're the hottest team in the NFL. They have a home game in the Super Bowl with Tom Brady as their quarterback, with everyone and their mother talking about how Patrick Mahomes is the baby goat and the passing of the torch and this and that. And Tom Brady sends his family away from his house for 12 days so he can watch film. You don't <laughs> think Tom Brady, when that whistle blows, is this is personal, man. This is Tom Brady's career on the line. This is his first year outside of the Patriots organization. He's gotten to the Super Bowl. I think, sure, Tommy, it's fair to say that the Chiefs win the coaching battle because of how great of a, of a coach Andy Reid has been this year and how great he is off the bye. But it's a very close uh, uh, coaching battle. I think Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles are extreme. They're no slouch. These are veteran coaches who have coached a lot of good teams and been in a lot of hard situations. And, and persevered. Um, I, I will. I, I want to make a counterpoint, really, just about because Lee, I what you say, what you just said, made sense to me, and that's kind of the, the narrative and that kind of stuff. And I don't want to make it seem like, oh, this is all narrative, and you're because there's there's a there there, and it is Tom Brady, and you're making logical points that really like would not surprise me. Like if we wake up on Monday morning and you know it's a close game, but you know Brady just got it done in the fourth quarter, and Brady kind of reminded everyone of you know, who it was, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But I do think what Tampa was able to do with Green Bay in shutting down Devontae Adams, which is something that I, you know, laughed at the thought of when we were doing the, the preview of the Rams-Green uh, Bay game, and they were able to do that. I just think Kansas City is so much more dynamic where no, they're not going to be able to stop Travis Kelsey. No one can. I mean, maybe Tampa has the best shot with Antoine Winfield and Devin White and kind of the players that they have at the second level. Um, but like you said, Lee, Kansas City is going to get theirs – um, and I guess, you know, I'm not trying to convince your mind or anything like that, but I guess I'm just, and I'm sure Clip feels the same way. Where, I also think Tom Brady uh, is playing incredible football. Like those interceptions were glorified punts. Sure. They were interceptions. One of them was tipped and the other two were glorified punts. Other than those interceptions, he is extremely accurate. He is so impressive. What he's doing is unbelievably impressive as a quarterback, just from a quarterbacking standpoint, he is throwing the ball with extreme velocity. I did not anticipate I obviously wouldn't bet against Brady doing these things, but how could you anticipate that he would be this efficient still as a quarterback? 
Well, he's he's moving around really well too. Still, I mean, he's he's not just like a statue quarterback by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. One thing I did I do want to bring up because we're talking a lot about you know the Buccaneers path, and I don't know I don't know if the Chiefs have been given enough credit for how easily they handled the Bills. Um, I feel some of that might be on our our side of you know kind of slighting Josh Allen and not being a big fan of his and him not playing a great game. But the Bills are one of the hottest teams in the league and a very strong team all season long. And they got up nine nothing, and then the Chiefs just kind of discarded them without any problems at all. So um, you know for all, for all the the you know props that Tampa Bay is getting for defeating the Packers in Lambeau. Obviously, that is somewhat of a better feat, but I, I don't know if the Chiefs are getting enough credit either for kind of how they handled their business against Buffalo in the AFC Championship game. And and so, well, and then just a quick point that I was going to add because Clep, I think that's a great point um, because you know throughout the the season, Kansas City was coasting a little bit and they got a reputation. I mean, not even a reputation; it was just the the fact of the matter was that they weren't covering a lot of games because. You know, one, there's not a lot of incentive for them to, you know, cover because they're not worried about gambling. And also, they were playing like a little loose and everything like that. You know, the Saints game, the the Bucks game, the fact that these teams were able to come back and make it a game where Kansas City so clearly outplayed them for the, uh, you know, the majority of the game. The Dolphins game as well, where we saw Mahomes throw some, uh, throw some picks. I think, Clep, you make a great point about if you look at the Cleveland game and the Buffalo game, those are two of the hottest teams in the NFL with live offenses um, and, you know, solid defenses buffaloes especially uh and kansas city you know we are seems to be reaching their potential um so i guess you know i would just echo what klep just said and in my confidence in kansas city where we have two really hot teams going up and beating the super bowl right now these are probably the two best teams in the nfl i think this is you know this is gonna be a great game but kansas city i think just has the higher ceiling um and i think i just got to go with that well the first thing i want to say is the bills left an ungodly amount of points on the field in that game their offense just simply did not come out to play. And I think a lot of that does have to do with Josh Allen, and I don't think that's going to be the case with Tampa Bay. And the second point I'll make is this iteration of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to be the toughest test the Kansas City Chiefs have had all year, without a doubt in my mind. Like, they're, this is the best team they're going to play all year. Um, and maybe that's an easy thing to say because it's the Super Bowl, but I truly believe that this is a much better form of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers than, than we have seen you know, in that Week 12 matchup. And I think that that Week 12 loss is going to do more favors for the Buccaneers than it will for the Chiefs, in hindsight, looking back on it. Um, and ultimately, I just think that the stars have kind of aligned for this Tampa Bay team. The, and historically, when you look at past you know, uh, seasons over the past few decades in the NFL, when a wildcard team gets hot and wins three games on the road, you can't account for the amount of confidence that they have. And the fact that they're going back to Tampa to play this game and the defense is playing as good as it is and they have 12 at quarterback on offense, I just don't know. And they're an underdog and everyone's talking about how great the Chiefs are. The Chiefs are the easiest pick in every single game. Like you guys are saying, I don't even disagree. The Chiefs have kind of been slighted. They were so good this year. Essentially, they lost one game to the Raiders. I'm not counting the Week 17 game, right? So this is a team, the Chiefs, that are they're incredible. But all that being said, I think Tampa is playing with unreal confidence, and I think that within the walls of that locker room, this has kind of been the journey for this team. This has kind of been what everyone said the ceiling was for Tampa Bay. And like I said earlier, the hard part was getting there. The hard part was making sure you can make the playoffs in a tough NFC South division, making sure that the offense is going to come into form, which it did, like I said, around week 12 or 13. 
and then winning three games on the road in the playoffs. And I think that, especially the game in Lambeau, this is a Tampa Bay team that is absolutely a force to be reckoned with. I do not want to overlook Kansas City. I think it's going to be a very close game. I expect the game to be tied in the fourth quarter, and I'm taking Tom Brady. That's kind of what it comes down to for me. So, ultimately, like you guys are saying with Tampa, if I wake up on Monday and the Chiefs win, will I be shocked? Absolutely not. But if I got to make a pick for this game and you're giving me Tom Brady at home in the Super Bowl with a better defense as an underdog, I mean, I'm I'm taking it. I'm not going to go with the chalk pick just because it almost seems like, I don't know, the whole goat, baby goat, passing of the torch thing. I think Tom Brady is a Michael Jordan, man. I don't think that – I think all this stuff is very personal to him. And I think that he's going to come into this game more prepared than anybody on the field. And I think he's going to execute extremely well. And I think if there's a situation where he has the luxury of, of what Garoppolo had, where, hey, you're the quarterback of a Super Bowl team and you have the ball with two minutes left and you can, if you can go score, you can win the game, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to go do it. So if, if this defense can, can hang tough and, and hold Kansas City under 30 points in, in the fourth quarter, and if it's 24-21 in the fourth quarter, either way, I mean – I think that is probably what the game script is going to be, and I'm going to go with Tampa Bay to pull it out um, in the fourth quarter. And I think you know you're getting a buck fifty-five on the money line in some spots. Like, I think that's a, a really good price. I really do. I think that this game probably should be closer to a pick'em. And I do think that the the reason that it's not is because a lot of these Vegas heads and these books do rightfully respect the Chiefs a lot. This is a team that was a ten-point favorite against damn near any, everyone they played this year. So. You know, I understand it from that standpoint, but I really do think that that all that is the past. The season is a wash, and it's one game in Tampa, um, and, and I'm taking the Bucks. Um, let's do some let's do some score predictions, shall we? Let's do it. Anyone got an inkling, uh, a prophecy well, well, of sorts? Uh, I um, the total's fifty six. I kind of think this is going to be an under game, but um, like Lee said, like I kind of like a twenty four twenty one. But then again, I feel like if this goes over, it's going to be like a 40-30 game or something like that. There's going to be like 60 or 70 points scored. I'll say 28-24 Tampa. I'm going to say... I'm going to try and add something to this too. Give it a little uh, look into my crystal ball. I mean, this this might change during the silent reflection. We'll see. We'll see what's happening in the first half. Might see see into the future a little bit. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say Chiefs 33... Buccaneers 31, Bucks try to go for two in the end of the fourth quarter to send it to OT, and they don't get it. Wow. Wow. That's hardcore. All right, let's all, let's all hop on the over. I'll go 30-28. I think 30-28. I think, I think Tampa Bay probably covers. I think, you know, 30-28 uh, Kansas City, yeah. I also do want to say one more thing about the game script is that I think Kansas City is going to have a really, really, really hard time establishing the run. And I don't know how big of a problem that's going to be because Patrick Mahomes is an unprecedented talent, but I do think it may pose an issue for them because Tampa Bay is an extremely capable run defense, especially with Vita Vea. Yeah. And I know Mahomes is great and I don't doubt, but in the NFL, man, you have to be able to, to, to move the sticks running the ball at least a little bit. Well, I mean, and that's what you know kept them that. in the game last year with Damian Williams. Yep. 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 So you're absolutely, I mean, they've, they, you know, Clyde has had a great season. I've been very invested in him due to dynasty, but you know, the chiefs have not been a, a powerhouse running team at all. No. So, mm-hmm. um, and 
and the, and the Buccaneers, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really remember, but I don't, Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, no one really did much against them uh, in the ground game against. Well, the, the Buccaneers front seven is just stacked with dudes. Yeah, yeah. it's just Levante David, Devin White, Vita Vea, Nandamakin Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett. I it's mean, that's tough. an all-pro It's, it's right really there. hard because if you start running sideways, then you know Devin White and Levante David are going to be right there to swallow you up, and then you try going up the middle and. That's just not going to work out too yep. well for you either. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe some screen, some quick game, you know, run, it, run adjusts, yeah. get Miko, you know, running on some jet sweeps, I was, some misdirection. I was just about to say, they have been getting Miko so involved with like an, as an extension of the run game in the past couple games. And I mean, yeah, that obviously you want to be able to establish the run a little bit and, and move the sticks like you were saying, Lee, but it's just like their offensive personnel from a passing standpoint, and especially if Sammy Watkins plays, who, you know, has kind of become an also-ran a little bit, but is a really good player and really is a really good number two receiver in this offense. They just have so many ways to attack you, um, you know, obviously with Hill Hill and Kelsey, but I think if that kind of, that next level of Sammy Watkins and Miko Hardman are able to have an effect too, it's just such a such a tough ho- offense to, to stop. And um, Antoine Winfield is 100%. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, I you think it's huge. two weeks of rest. I think that's a really big deal. I would say that the Buccaneers secondary is obviously a little inexperienced, a little young, but man, those guys can run, and Winfield has been an absolute gem for them. So I would expect him. The fact that he's 100% uh, kind of completes that defense. Yeah, I was going to say I kind of expect him to have a lot of Kelsey duties or be like the main. That's kind of what I would, you know, what I would do a little bit. I just think he's such a playmaker and a ball hawk. Obviously, he might not have like the coverage skills to one on one him, but just as a guy who is, you know, eyeing Kelsey the whole time. Um,. You guys got any taste for any props? You're the props guy, Tommy. <laughs> you want to hear a prop that I like? Mahomes throwing a pick. Mahomes interception. I, I like that. Plus, it's plus like 120. That. Plus 120. A little tip, a little tip pick. Uh, yeah, I just think he's going to throw a pick. I think, you know. How about the weekend wearing a purple jacket? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any, any Gatorade inklings would be good. Any Gatorade, yeah. I think Mahomes. Um, I mean, well, and I was just going to say Chris Godwin, man. Chris Godwin's going to be the go-to guy in Tampa. I think Godwin uh, receptions and yards over, baby. Lee, the, I'd like to see what a Gronk touchdown is, for old time's sake, maybe. Lee, uh, the, the crack man is a huge props guy for the Super Bowl. It's like where he makes all of really? his money. Yeah. He, he looks for deep props, like real deep props. A lot of guys do. I was watching yeah. a video for VEASAN or whatever, Vegas Sports Insider. And uh, there's like some really good, you know, there's some characters out there who are going from casino to casino, finding, trying to find the best price on, on Super Bowl props. It's like a, there's a whole industry there. Yep, um, yep, because there's so many yeah. bets that there's going to be a couple that are analytically off. And then they just like, yep. instead of betting on yeah. plus three or minus three, they just bet on some ridiculous prop and whatever. Exactly. I don't know. Or you can find a middle with some props in different books where it's like Clyde Edwards Laird have over 68 rushing yards in one book, and then it's like over 56 in another book, and you can find a nice little middle there. I was I was reading about that too. I'm staying out of that though. I got Bucks money line, and I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah. Well, um, last one that ahead, I, that I was gonna say, if you can get a uh, sack props, Shaq Barrett sack is minus 110. I think that number's probably moved a little bit, but a JPP Shaq Barrett. Sack and even you know Frank Clark and Chris Jones on the other side, both of those are at plus money. I just think Brady's is, can be a little bit of a statue, and Frank Clark with the speed and, and Chris Jones with the interior pressure. Um, I like both of those. For me, Frank Clark plus one fifteen for yes sack. Chris Jones plus one ten for yes sack. So I think that's a oh, those wow. are a little misaligned. What about like a Willie Gay sack? 
Will, is, Willie Gay was banged up, I thought. He was like the only dude on the injury report. I feel I read that like yesterday. I think he's going to be fine for the game, but something to keep an eye on. <clears throat> Sorensen sack. Hey, how about that? Interesting. He's kind of all over the place. I thought he was a Jeff Heath type character, but he's been playing well. He's been playing very well. No, he's he's really good. Yeah, um, he's a blue guy. Tommy, do you want to just share any quick thoughts on the on the Stafford deal since you weren't uh, on the yeah. horn for it? I'll, I'll be short and, uh, short and quick. Um, I know you guys kind of know where I stand. I mean, in isolation, I think just in terms of the compensation, it's a, it's a very good trade. But I think in absence of a franchise quarterback and going forth with Jared Goff, I just think it's, it's like a colossal mistake. And I do think I'm of the mind that they should be, um, you know, getting, trying to get a quarterback in this draft. I really like this year's draft class. Um, and I think, you know, however they, they do that, I think, you know, that's – and this draft capital affords you to miss on a quarterback. Obviously, it's not ideal, but if you have multi of two first-round picks for the next two years after this, you're able to, you know, miss on Trey Lance or Zach Wilson and be like, wow, this guy really isn't our guy. Let's go again. And that means you'll probably be bad too. So I don't think – I think the worst-case scenario of that really isn't too bad. So – I think we all know we don't believe in Jared Goff. I especially don't believe in Jared Goff outside of Sean McVay's system where I think so much of his you know, success, quote-unquote, has been attributed to that. So him in, a, in you know, an Anthony Lynn and Dan Campbell offense, I just don't see it going very well, and especially with the talent they have around them and kind of the state of, of the roster. So if they have a quarterback of the future and you're like, if you believe in Darnold, for, example, for instance, and you're the Jets and you have the second overall pick and you have the Seahawks' first pick, and you can trade back and get even more draft capital. If the Lions are in a situation like that where they have a quarterback of the future, they're picking, you know, fourth or fifth next year, um, and, you know, team wants to come up to get a quarterback, and they can move back and get even more draft capital, I just think that would be, that would be awesome. So that's, that's kind of where, my, uh, where I stand on the trade. And to kind of respond to Will, too, like I think there's genuinely like a cap on how excited you can be until stuff starts happening. Especially yeah. considering the fact that it's a Lions. Like, why why am I going to be excited now? Because the Lions... Sure, it's two first-round picks, but it's like... I'm not going to be doing the pony because the, Ly- the Lions, you know, got two first-round picks. First of all, they traded their franchise quarterback and best player on the team away. And it's like a complete rebuild. So, like, until I start to see the blocks of that rebuild get put into place, it's hard for me to be excited. And I kind of agree with Tommy for the most part. My first you know, jolt of excitement will be at pick seven, you know, when, when, when some decisions are starting to, to be made and some things are starting to happen. That's when the excitement sets in. But until then, I'm assuming, you know, kind of, I'm assuming the worst in a way because it's like, why have, this team hasn't really shown me anything other than that, you know? So. Yeah, com- I mean, completely. It's, it's like, you know, I mean, for teams in the past too that have, gotten a lot of picks like the browns and stuff it didn't you know you have to see who the players become yes right mm-hmm. and and you know i i'm a big believer in what the rams are going to be able to do with matthew stafford and i think the picks are going to be late 20s right so mm-hmm. it's it's you know and it's it, we'll see i don't know i mean i'm not gonna you know since we talked to on the podcast stuff has come out about what other teams actually offered for stafford the, the panthers offered the eighth pick for him, right? So if you're the Lions, you could have been sitting at seven and eight this year. Um, I don't know. Is that better than two future firsts? I'm not totally certain. Um, my 
gut says I guess I'd take the the future first just because I do think this rebuild will take so much time that kind of putting those things into the future isn't the worst thing for this team but then again if you're looking at a you know, quarterback that you really like if you're Brad Holmes seven and eight definitely gives you the ammunition that teams that like the Falcons the Jets and the you know the Bengals are definitely going to be they're going to have to listen to what you have to say whereas if you're trying to make a move up this year uh you know two future firsts aren't going to be nearly as exciting so we'll see man there's also like the asterisk of the whole Brad Holmes background that we talked about on the podcast and that's something that I know you don't have to put too much stock into it because it's not like we can safely assume that oh Brad Holmes loves Jared Goff but there is kind of that you can't just assume that he's not gonna believe in Jared Goff because it's just a little bit weird. Usually you don't see teams immediately, you know, if someone parts ways with a team and gets another job, gets promoted, you don't usually see them dipping right back into that team's roster to make a trade. You, you Which know, is exactly what teams. happened with the previous regime, too. On yeah. a much less scale, almost, too. Yeah. Like So, so. I, I'm, you know, I'd like to believe that, you know... Holmes knows what he's doing, and, and Goff is kind of a placeholder, and I do think that's the case right now. But until that's kind of proven, I'm not, you know. I I watched this team pick TJ Hawkinson, and I know that's, you know, Hawkinson's great, but I was really disappointed in that pick. I've watched this team do too much, and I know it was a different regime, but I've just watched them do too much stuff that I disagree with for me to assume they're going to start doing things that I agree with um, and that I think are logical. So... Yeah, I mean, I think um, in terms of Holmes, I, I kind of am confident in him. I mean, not I don't think he's going to be you know the next the next Ozzie Newsome, but I do think that when you look at the Rams, what they've been able to do from from a draft standpoint, I do think they're pretty good at evaluating talent, especially late round talent, since they haven't had first round picks for some times because of the Goff and Jalen Ramsey, and now they won't um, with the Lions. So I, I think that I'm confident the Lions are going to be able to select better players throughout the draft. But uh, at the same time, you know, again, it just – I would not be surprised at all if you're looking at this roster and you're Brad Holmes and you really like Jared Goff and you're like, this roster is very bad and we have a above-average quarterback. We have a quarterback that can take us to a Super Bowl if everything else is ar- around him is right. And you're paying him a lot of money. I don't have all the contract stuff on on hand, but I guess, I guess they can cut him – kind of relatively dead cap free in two years it might might be the case or maybe it's three years I don't know but either way that that contract is a bit of an albatross and I think in Klepp too the Broncos too it was like nine in Drew Locke I guess for for Stafford um and you know that's that's an interesting that's an interesting offer too I tend to agree with you Klepp that pushing it down with the rebuild I think that's probably the better move but it has to come at the expense of of getting a, a franchise quarterback because that if you don't have a franchise quarterback you your 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 SOL. So um Yeah, and I just wanted to 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 I don't know how much we really got into this um on the other pod on our previous podcast from the Rams side of this, but obviously the Rams are gonna have some depth issues and they're not gonna have you know, I mean they basically it's gonna be seven years of first round picks and then the last first round pick that they would have taken would be Jared Goff. And they gave up a bunch of picks to move up to get Goff too. So I mean this is a huge the Rams have dug themselves a gigantic hole. Uh, in a sense, if this doesn't uh, pan out. But I really think Stafford in McVay's system is is going to work extremely, extremely well. You look at Robert Woods and like Cooper Cup, those guys are are awesome receivers, especially after the catch. 
I really think Stafford's going to be able to play that facilitator role, role that like Goff was able to do at his height the year they went to the Super Bowl. And then on top of that, you just get Stafford's ability to extend plays, really push the ball downfield. And I think he'll really start to limit his mistakes when he's playing with the defense that you know isn't going to give up 40 points a game. So I think that this is going to work out really well. On the last podcast, we were talking about the NFC West being a great division, which I think they are, but there's definitely flaws um, with the other three teams that don't really exist uh, right now with, with the Rams and all the rumors swirling about the 49ers and Kirk Cousins. Like, I'd take the Rams with Stafford over the Niners with Cousins, you know, every day of the week. So uh, I, I think that it's going to work out really well for Stafford and the Rams, and I'd be really shocked if they don't win a, a playoff game like next year. Yeah, I, th- yeah, no, I know it's early, I but I completely agree. I think I would too. Yeah. I think you potentially could see, I mean, obviously there's always an injury concern and Stafford has had some issues staying, staying healthy, but I think in, you know, two years with Arizona potentially being a little bit more of a wagon, San Francisco potentially having a, a franchise quarterback. I mean, you could see, I mean, Hey, I, I took the Rams under this year. I thought they, they were the team that I disliked the, the most out of that division. And, and I was very wrong. Um, but, you know, we could see, you know, that lack of depth and just... The- I don't know if you were, like, very wrong, Tommy. Their defense was just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think there were definitely flaws with that team. Um, obviously, I thought it was, you know, a great coaching job by McVay to Absolutely. take that team and win a game in Seattle in the playoffs. Like, pretty unbelievable. But, um, you know, I, I think you can expect a little bit of a regression from the defense just naturally. That kind of tends to happen in the NFL next year with the Rams. But I just think the offense will more then make up for whatever regression, you know, is is there. If there is any. I mean, who knows? They could they could really just roll it back up again and be, you know, just a great all-around football team. And and let's be on the lookout for a budding relationship between Matt Stafford's co- former coach's son, Van Jefferson, Sean Jefferson's son, who was the wide receivers coach back in the Calvin days, you know, potentially being that number 3 receiver with Josh Reynolds on the way out. So, I, you know, I'm I'm going to be looking for that next year, a little Lions uh little Lions line. It's a deep nugget, Tommy. That's a deep, nice deep nugget. Deep I love nugget. that. That was pretty desperate. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty desperate. <laughs> Uh, Clep, I think you said it well where they, they dug themselves a pretty big hole, man. That's a Super Bowl-sized hole they dug themselves in. Yeah. This is the thing that I like about the Rams with these picks. Obviously, like I don't necessarily agree with trading all your first-round picks away, but one thing it definitely does is makes it very clear what your intentions are. This is a team that knows they have a win-now roster. They have two, uh, arguably the two best defensive players in the league who are extremely hungry for a Super Bowl now, and they're not getting any younger. Um, and I think they kind of identified that, and it's they went all in for a guy who they considered to be a Super Bowl quarterback for them. Um, well, I'll share my fun little of- I'll share my fun little analogy that I that I texted you, uh, Tommy. I'm calling the Rams are the reverse Bucks because uh, the the Buccaneers this year, you know, Tom Brady joined a team of a bunch of guys that had never really done anything in the playoffs and uh, took them to the Super Bowl, and now the Stafford's joining the Rams who. You know, a vast majority of the people there in the organization have been to a Super Bowl before, and Stafford, who hasn't done anything in the playoffs, is going to try and take him there. So I like reverse, that, Clef. Reverse Bucks. I like that. I like that. Set in the tone. Whew. Any other um, any other up? thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't, any any other football thoughts you boys are thinking about? Any draft nuggets? Who's this kid uh, from Pittsburgh? DN Patrick Jones. Kind of like him. Weaver. Patrick. Yeah. Patrick, oh, Patrick Jones. Jones looks yeah, really good, man. I, I haven't. In, in, he's been tearing intriguing. up the senior nice bowl. Nice senior bowl. Yep. Nice senior bowl. Yep. I don't know if it's a pure aesthetic thing. Um, you also had a nice senior bowl, James Bradbury. I was on that. 
My boy Quincy Roche had a nice senior bowl too. Yep. Um, any of you guys run that Zach Wilson 2019 Washington tape? That's on my to-do <laughs> I list. I haven't yet. That's on my to-do list. You guys gotta, you guys gotta watch that, man, Tommy. That'll definitely pour a little cold water on your, uh, on your Zach Wilson hype. And I don't, don't get me wrong. I gotta watch more. And Zach Wilson is undoubtedly very, very naturally talented. But the 2019 Washington tape is pretty bad, yeah. man. No, I, I, it's pretty bad. I, I need to watch. I didn't the 2019 think any, tape. any top five quarterback could have tape that bad. Quite frankly, you know, it's I, 2019 though. So what? 2019. It was a year ago. A year yeah. before this season. He, Does that mean all? He was on another level this year, and this will be really interesting to see from you know my own personal evaluation, uh, my own you know personal evaluation journey. Uh, you know, a guy like Zach Wilson, who uh, going off his 2020 20, tape, it's like it's very good. It's it is. I don't want to say it's Joe Burrow esque. He wasn't as good as Joe Burrow, but just the the domination, how much he dominated the game from the quarterback position, and it's going to be interesting to see you know if that was you know fluff or or real, real didn't, stuff. Didn't make many mistakes at all this year. Well, in the off, didn't make off many platform mistakes. throws. Like, just looks like what the NFL, how the, the the quarterback position at the NFL, you know, is going, how it's trending. Is an athlete has supreme ball placement, can make you know great arm strength. Um, and you know, granted, was playing against not the best competition, but you know, I just think he's a gamer too. On top of that, I think he's he's kind of like the. The ba- kind of gives you the Baker Mayfield thing without the, the downfalls of Baker coming out of um, and a better athlete and you know better arm talent I think but he kind of is kind of that kind of guy. Yeah, Ooh. he's like a Baker Mayfield Johnny Manziel mishmash. That's kind of what I was yeah. thinking. I gotta I gotta watch more 2020 though. I will say I'm interested to see the 2020 tape in terms of you talk about ball placement because between USC I watched Tennessee I watched and Washington in 2019. His ball placement was not great, yeah. and there were some throws that he had guys open downfield and he undershot him or overshot him. Especially, I, I'm harping on the Washington game because there were honestly probably eight to ten throws in that game where I was just like, "Wow, he really missed the mark here." So I want to see how many times if that happened at all because it seemed like I, it didn't in 2020, and how much that had to do with the receiver separation. You know, with if they were playing any crappy DBs yeah. or. If it's just a matter of him kind of getting after it this offseason and becoming that much of a better player, so I'm interested to kind of dive in. I got a lot of a lot of tape to watch. The on guy guys, that but. I've watched the most of, and Lee, I know you're a fan of him, and I and I kind of want to I want to hop on the bandwagon is Javante Williams, man, who reminds me uh, a lot of yeah. a lot of kind. Of, he reminds me of Joe Mixon. I talked to Lee about that. He reminds me a lot of Joe Mixon coming out, but also has like some little Nick Chubb to him. And I mean, I think he's going to be a Klepp guy. Like it's hard, it's hard to not see Klepp watching that guy and, and not fall in love with him from the running back position. And, you know, you talk about him at North Carolina, which is no slouch. It's a very good school. Had a really good offense with you know Daz Newsom and Dynami Brown and you know Michael Carter and Javante Williams in the backfield. Those are guys who are all going to be on NFL rosters. And Sam Howell very well could be the number one quarterback taken next year. So, uh, but that being said, yeah. going up against an ETN or a Najee Harris who are playing at basically Najee Harris has an NFL offensive line and, and ETN's you know offensive line is no slouch. I just was incredibly impressed with Javante Williams, kind of in the same uh, way that Akers last year on Florida State on that awful, awful team and what they're able to do with, uh, you know, not a lot around them. Granted, Akers was a worse situation, but Javante Williams, man, just doesn't really have any weaknesses and he's just a football player, runs runs incredibly hard, great lateral movement, great contact balance. I mean, can catch the ball, man. I, I really like Javante Williams. What's our What's our Mac Jones temperature? I love Mac, dude. 
Connor and I got in a pretty heated argument because it was week one of the college football season, and we got in a little Mac Jones, Kyle Trask spit. And I was saying that Mac Jones was better than Kyle Trask. And I, I think Mac Jones, he needs to shed some, some of that baby fat. But I think that he's getting a bad rap because of, he, of being an Alabama quarterback. And I think that I think he's a first-round talent. I really do. I think he's really he's got an NFL arm, and his processing is underrated because of the weapons he had around him. And the fact that Waddle went down this year – and his production really didn't slip at all. And I know he had the best receiver, you know, arguably in the past 10, 20 years. You can even make an argument maybe the best receiver season ever in uh, Devonta. Devonta Smith. Um, you know, that obviously has something to do with it. But I really do like Mac Jones. And if we're talking about Zach Wilson in the top five and Trey Lance in the top five, there's no way we shouldn't be talking about Mac Jones in the first round. I, I think Mac um, Jones think is going to be is a first round pick and is going to be a it, he's going to be a top twenty pick, especially if you look at a team like the Bears and the Patriots. Like, yeah, I think the thing. No, yeah, I think I, I think he absolutely should be. He's got a great deep ball too, dude, man. He really can completely. Sling that thing. I think Mac Jones so. is just the thing with him is the mobility. Like, if the, ten years ago he would be a top five pick, I think. Think, just based on he's got arm talent, but um, you know I'm not saying he's a statue, but just compared to the other four guys in, in Lawrence, uh, Fields, Wilson, and Lance, just the mobility is just not anywhere near there. Um, but you I know, think the other yeah, thing, the other thing that's going to be late- the other thing that's going to be so interesting about how this quarterback thing shapes out this year is that there's so many guys, and with the limited offseason stuff, I'm not sure how much more we're going to really know, right? In terms of just mm-hmm. the, the the testing side of things right and it's just going to be interesting to see like will teams take you know zach wilson's and trey lance's before guys like justin fields or mac jones who you know made you know significant impacts at blue blood schools right and and like played in the national championship game and like it's just it's going to be so it's i'm really excited about it i don't know obviously like lawrence is the top dog he almost gets forgotten um yeah. this whole class is just so interesting and and really um you know, it's going to be fun to see where they all fall. My hot take on Mac Jones is that he's better than Tua. That's interesting. I just think this Alabama team this year was unbelievable, and they were basically the same team they were last year, except everyone is a year older and Mac Jones is the quarterback. And also even last year when Mac Jones stepped in for, for Tua, I want to say it was his first start was against Auburn, and they lost that game. And he threw yeah. a hundred yard pick six. He had some. He had some bad. He throws, threw that man, pick remember, six that was off the guy's back, right? Like on yeah, the goal line. Yeah, I remember line. watching that game and being like, "Man, this kid is really impressing me." Just from a standpoint of like, you're at Alabama, you get thrown to the wolves in the Auburn game, and he's he went out and threw for like 425 yards or something like that. Yeah, that's and right. He lost the game, and he had a couple throws he probably wanted to take back, but still, I mean, that uh, that was really impressive to me. And what he did this year, I mean. Talk about not making many mistakes. I, it totally gets overlooked because of the whole Alabama thing. But that guy, I mean, he was really proficient as a passer. I, and ev- I, I, everyone was kind of waiting for him to slip up and prove that he wasn't like, you know, he was just kind of more of a Jared Coker than, than, a, than a, you know, more transcendent quarterback. And he never really did. And Alabama's offense never really missed a beat this year. Yeah. I so think, like, I mean, not to like put you too much on the spot, Lee, but like for him versus a guy like Lance, like where do you, where's your head at in, the, in a situation like that? Well, the thing with that is just like how raw Lance is and what Lance can develop into. Because it's like Lance has all the tools to be an NFL quarterback other than he hasn't proven that he can be a consistent, proficient passer in an offense that throws the ball 30 times a game. 
And that's something that you definitely need to worry about. And, and I would say that off initially that Mac Jones absolutely presents a higher floor just based off the film and, and the, in the transition ability, I guess, to the NFL, if that's even a word. But you, I just think that as an NFL organization, it'd be a little bit more exciting to bring a guy like Trey Lance into your, into your locker room just because of what he can become. Um, and this, it's not like Trey Lance can't throw the ball, you know, like we just haven't seen enough from him. So if he could develop into a proficient passer, I think that the kind of the sky is the limit. For I think, him. Um, I think Trey yeah. Lance to me, like is more intriguing than Josh Allen coming out. Like, I don't think like Josh Allen had was a little bit more of a wild card, um, compared to Trey Lance. And I think they're kind of similar in terms of maybe Josh Allen has a bit of a stronger arm, but Trey Lance has a complete rocket launcher for an arm has prototypical size and, you know, is a hell of an athlete too. It's a better athlete. Too. Yeah. I mean, he probably is a better athlete. Um, and you know, that's just, I think that's something that I'm really trying to, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm overcompensating for this year is just seeing, you know, these guys in the NFL, especially Josh Allen, I got to give some credit to him, but you know, the growth and the maturation that you can get when you have a guy who has mobility, um, and has arm talent. Like, it's just, I think that goes a lot farther. A guy like Jalen Hurts, like, you know, obviously I'm not saying, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to be a starting quarterback going forward in the NFL, and it's going to be interesting to see what his future is in Philly and how he reacts to defenses. But, you know, Jalen Hurts, you know, didn't really have, you know, great arm talent coming out. And all of these guys, you know, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance, uh, you know, Wilson probably is, is not as good of an athlete as uh, the other two in, in Jalen Hurts, but, you know, can make plays on the run and just having that factor of mobility. Look at Taysom Hill this year, too. So, I just think the NFL is kind of trending in that direction, um, and all of these guys kind of present that upside. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where my head's at with, with this uh, quarterback class. Who's this kid from Stanford? Davis Mills. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, five star recruit. Even... Five star recruit. Um, five star. So what? Yeah, I mean, I. Gunnar Keel was a five-star recruit. So was Jimmy Clausen. Yeah, no, five. I don't. You know, I'm not. I don't. He's a Stanford guy. who's a five-star recruit. It's like, he, what's the difference between him and KJ Costello? I don't. I don't really know. Davis Mills is quarterback camp. Yeah, he's going to be running a quarterback camp in a few years. <laughs> he's not an NFL quarterback. You can you can put that in the prophecy. You know who Stanford is? Stanford has been terrible, like god awful, the past few years. So like, how can you even? You know who's a baller who I've watched a little bit on mostly highlight tapes. I need to start cutting the tape, but the the highlight tapes show the upside is is Jalen Darden, man. Jalen Darden, dude, oh yeah, Jalen Darden. Well, his stats this year were unreal. Yeah. He, I think he, he was their. He's going to be like a date, like an early day three pick, maybe like a round four, round five guy who is you know is a joystick man. Like he, he's he's very good man and just can make and guys look, miss in a phone booth and you know could be a really nice weapon at the next level. If we're going to drop a Davis Mills name, I mean, dude, Kellen Mond. Yep. Like the, Kellen Mond is a guy who I personally think should be a fringe first-round, early second-round pick because of his projectability. And he needs to put weight on. And this is a guy who could definitely learn from sitting for two or three years. But I think that the tools there and what I've seen from him when he's really good on tape is really exciting. At his top end, he's playing like a top-ten pick. And then you see some inconsistency where he looks like a fourth or fifth round pick. But if you can kind of get, you know, if he can get good, so much of it is coaching, man. Like Josh Allen is a great example. I think Josh Allen is a product of incredible coaching. He had so much raw talent. And then it just clicked with the coaches did a great job of assessing what he couldn't do well. And then hammering down the techniques and the small details to make him better. And they've seen kind of the the fruits of their labor kind of. 
come out and, and think and, about yeah. just consistency in an offense. The the offensive line progressively got better. You know, people have talked about how they they built through free agency, um, and you know, adding a guy like Diggs this year obviously like put it over. But it's just that. Or you look at a guy like, you know, Darnold, it's going in the opposite direction. And with Josh Allen every year, it's like you got the offensive line, you know, figured out first year. Then you had, you know, rookie Devin Singletary last year. And they had like, they were a nice little upstart team with a really good defense. And then this year, the offense really put it all together. Um, and, you know, they have three great receivers. And then Klepp's boy, Dawson Knox, he's a nice little, nice little move piece at tight end. So, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for draft season, man. It's really exciting. I got to look into a few more quarterbacks, but yeah, that's my. Uh... What about you know? Why don't I? What about like Ellinger, man? Like I, I oh man, I love. Well, I'm saying like a guy like Jalen Hurts. Like I think Jalen Hurts obviously is a little bit more natural, ta- naturally talented than Ellinger. But like you know, a team like the Saints getting Ellinger, a team where like that could be creative with an Ellinger type Steelers. Yes, I mean Steelers. You know he's gonna fight for you, and like I could see him like. Just getting thrown the thing thrown with, into action next year, like you know, a quarterback gets hurt and like he has to start a game, and he's just like a gamer, man. The thing with Ellinger that that will drop him to like the third round, I I, I wouldn't see him getting drafted higher than the third round, and, and quite frankly, probably mid to late third round is just because I I truly and I could be you always could be wrong with this stuff, but I truly think we like absolutely know what Ellinger yeah. is. There's no like, there's no hidden features to his game where it's like wow. He's going to come into the NFL and develop into like an elite NFL quarterback. I just don't think that's the case. I think he's a guy who is going to take his licks and could be like, you know, I'm not saying his game is like Case Keenum, but I think his production in the NFL could be similar to Case Keenum where he comes in, he's a good locker room guy, he's fairly accurate, he's tough as nails, and, and like you said, Tommy, he's going to fight for, for you kind every of, single play. Kind so, of like Colt McCoy, yeah, man, that, That's a enticing. Bit. Like maybe he has like, a, like his, his, mm-hmm. his Texas brethren, Colt McCoy, and it's just about him, you know uh, – capitalizing on that opportunity to start. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, how McCoy started with the Browns. And did he start for Washington, too? I, I don't know. But he, McCoy's had some some chances to start. And, you know, obviously went and, and beat the Seahawks this year with, with Big Blue. So I will say, too, though, man, uh, I'm a little disappointed in what Ellinger did in college. Yeah. After that Georgia game, it kind of, you know, and it's not all on him, but, man, I was really expecting big things from him. And I was expecting him – quite frankly, after that Georgia game, to be a kind of Baker Mayfield type where he was going to bring Texas to the forefront, kind of bring them back. And really, I honestly thought at that time that he would be in the conversation to be a first-round pick in a couple of years because of kind of what I was seeing from him. And he was small, bulky, accurate, and tough as nails. And I just thought that if he could kind of put that all together, he could be a first-round pick. And we really didn't see it from him um, in, the, in the two years following. So, Tommy, would you, rather have, uh, would you rather have Dar- Darnold or Jameis? Mm, I'd rather have Darnold, man. He, I, like I, I see, I see the similarities between them, but I just think Darnold has still so much meat on left on the bone. Where Jameis, I don't think does as much. Like the bonehead, the boneheadedness of Jameis, I just think is at a different level than Darnold. And and Darnold's boneheadedness, granted, it's there. It was there at USC, but I think a lot of that has just come from the situation. I would love to see Darnold in a you know a Tampa situation, um, and that's kind of all that I'm all that I'm asking for. Man. Let him let him go to Indy. Let him have really good weapons, a good coaching around him, and a good team, and, and see what he can do. You know, yeah. Like Jameis had the Buccaneers, man, yeah. and I think the Buccaneers were really good last year. Dar- all Darnold has had is the Adam Gase Jets, like, and obviously you know he has a lot to do with the fact that they weren't that great. Um, first of all, by not being on the field for a lot of his second year, and then by the turnover issues and the inconsistencies. But uh, 
I just want to see, like Tommy said, I'd love to see Darnold in a situation where he gets better coaching and a little bit more of an opportunity with the weapons around him. You can't put that much weight on a guy's shoulders, you know, right off the bat. Like I don't, I'm trying to think of the, all the quarterbacks in that draft class: Allen, Lamar, uh, Baker, Rosen, um, Rosen, Ro- Rosen. If you put any of those guys on the Jets, where are the Jets now with that? Like I don't know if Adam Gase is not getting fired still. You know, like I just still think that they're kind of in a screwed situation. So maybe I'm giving Darn a little too much credit. I, I've got a, I've got a track record of doing that, but. I still think that he kind of got dealt a pretty crappy. Well, and you can look at the first three years of, of each of those guys. Forget about Rosen because um, we kind of that's like the easiest one. But you know Baker last year and and even this year really like until OBJ got hurt and the offense really started feeling himself like Baker was awesome for the last part of this year. Um, but last year obviously with Freddie Kitchens was was pretty abysmal. Lamar had the MVP, but I mean, I think we kind of know what Lamar is, and so much of that is the situation that he walked into Baltimore. If the dra- Jets draft him at you know three. Are they getting Greg Roman or, you know, are they, is that the direction that they're going in or are they going to try and, you know, start uh, Josh McCown or whoever was the placeholder starter and, and let Lamar try to be more of a traditional pocket passing quarterback. And then Josh Allen, you know, was who he was and that's well documented on this, on this show for the past couple of years. Uh, and obviously, you know, Baker had the rookie year, Lamar had the second year MVP and, and Josh Allen had an MVP year this year. I mean, he had a year that could win him an MVP in a lot of other years. So, um, yeah, it's just going to come down to Darnold being in the right situation. Cool, boys. Anything else we want to talk about? Um, I want to go quick fire round with you boys both. All right. With with what? What? Okay. I'm, I'm just Let gonna I'm just gonna rail out a few. What team is Derek Carr on opening week? Wow. I'm gonna go with the Raiders, man. <laughs> I don't think it's the Raiders, dude. There's no way. You can just say not the Raiders if you want to. I'm I mean, going to say not the Raiders. I'm going to say he's not on the Raiders. Um, I don't think he gets – I don't think Watson goes to Vegas. Um, Do you think they're rolling with Bears. Mariota then? Bears. Bears. Bears, maybe. I don't know. I said okay. Darnold to the Bears. Well, uh, I was going to say what team is Sam Darnold on next year? Yeah, no. I'm going to say Darnold to the Bears. Car. I'm really hoping Darnold for the Colts, man. I really want to see that. Uh, let's let's let's. I don't know. I'm, I'm Lee. I'm just gonna say off the Raiders. Okay. He's off the Raiders. Uh, I don't so think Darnold, he's there. You got Bears, Tommy. Who do you got, Darnold? I got Colts. I want to speak it into existence. No, I'm gonna go Jets with Darnold. I'm gonna say the Jets stick with Darnold. Wow. Um, I Kirk don't Cousins. think that happens. Kirk Cousins. Darnold same with the Jets. I mean, I it, Kirk Cousins. He's either on the Vikings or the 49ers, yeah. right? Like yeah. it, I I I think I think um I don't know, man. I'd rather see the 49ers go in a different direction. I'd love so, uh, I'd love to I'm see I'm going to say Kirk I'm going to say Kirk stays. Yeah. Okay. I would love to see the 49ers get one of those four quarterbacks. Like they can they can trade next year's first, they can trade this year's first, give them a second too. Like I think they can sacrifice a lot of draft capital because of how good their team is and I would love to see Trey Lance in San Francisco. Like if those three guys go and Trey Lance is the QB4, I think that would be a really awesome fit with his mobility and what Shanahan can kind of do with the run game. And so much of their passing game, you know, is not very vertical um, with, you know, Debo, Ayuk, and, and Kittle. I just think it's it's a great situation for a rookie quarterback and then having Kyle Shanahan. Well, yeah, and you give the Allen, the, the quasi-Allen comparison, and we just talked about how much Allen benefited from coaching. I think that you put Lance in a spot where he can get, A, a good offensive line, and B, really good coaching. 
Um, I think that he could really benefit from that. Um, so, yeah, Carr uh, and then Watson. Where, where are we saying Watson's going to go? I think he ends up in Miami, man. I really think he does. I think they have the most to offer him, and then I think they have the most to gain from him being on their team. Hmm. Like, I just think, you know, if he goes to the Jets, Jets still have a horrible defense and so many things they need to clean up uh, just in terms of their roster. Um, whereas I think the Dolphins are, are kind of, yeah, they need to add maybe some weapons uh, on their, you know, at, at receiver and maybe need to find a better answer at running back. But I just think if you add Watson to that team, um, they're easily competing with the Bills for the AFC East. And with the expanded playoff, I feel like they would have no problem making the playoffs. So you think two is on the Texans? I'm, I think you just like end up taking him because of it. Um, so yes, but I wouldn't put Tua of any value, right? Like Tua to me isn't value added to the, you know, to the to the pot. I think you just trade him simply because you can't have Tua and Watson on the roster at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're more you're more likely, you know, trying to throw in one of your defensive pieces. I guess if that's what the Texans are asking for. But like, if you're the Dolphins, I don't I don't think you shy away from giving up three, whatever their pick is in this first round and next year's first to just get Watson and, and go forward. Because I'm all out on Tua. Maybe it's too early for that. I just saw nothing from him, and we've talked about this before, but I just saw nothing that showed me in his first season that there's much there um, to, to, to be excited about at all. So uh, I would move off of him completely and just get the sure thing in Watson and, and try and start winning playoff games and try and win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I... Um... I still have some faith in Tua. Uh, I think a lot of it has to. He needs to have, you know, I guess a little better, a little bit better. He's six feet tall, scared in the pocket, can't really run, and is like injury prone. Like I just like he didn't show anything last yeah, year that makes you say like, "Wow, this guy's got a real future in the NFL," or like that that trait's really you know translatable. Like he's not extremely accurate. Like I, I just don't. He doesn't seem to command anything. He doesn't know what's Even going on. He he struggled against the Raiders. It's so early, dude. I you're so, well, all you're saying is right, but he's 21. Like I just that's what I was gonna say, Tommy. Because because I like to. I'm not even a two a guy, but when when Locke was having all those great games last year, or when you know certain guys start going off and and, and the media starts talking about how they're potential franchise quarterbacks, you have to wait. Two has only played what? He's only started seven yeah. or eight games. So I still clap. I kind of, I like Tommy said, I think what you're saying is right. I never was a big two a guy, but at the same time, you got to give the kid a chance to at least start 16 to 20 games to see what he can become. Sure. Uh, but, but I don't think he's not becoming Watson. Oh, completely. Right? No, I, I'm not like, saying keep no, two you know, in order to yeah. in order, you know, take him over Watson. Um, but then it's like, maybe this is a rabbit hole. We don't want to go down, but like, then what is the what are the Giants seeing from Daniel Jones then? That yeah. makes them well, they should move off of him. Act. Yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah. I, I just don't understand. You know, well, because it's like Daniel Jones hasn't showed anything that that makes anyone believe he's a franchise quarterback. The Giants have the eleventh pick. Maybe they need to do something to try to change that. You know, so yeah, I think it's. Um, I was listening to my guys on the on the PFF forecast, and they were talking about. Uh, <laughs> They're talking about potential trades for for Watson from from San, from San Francisco, Washington, and Miami, and they had Bosa, uh, Chase Young, and Xavier Howard along with first round picks involved in all of those. And I think, whoa, and I think I think I mean I think that's interesting. I think if I'm Houston, like that's what I'm gunning for. If you know, 
I talked about San Francisco going up against Trey Lance, you know, being a team that I think can be in a win-now mode and be aggressive to get after a quarterback. Um, I mean, I think for either of those teams, for Bosa and for Chase Young, it would be idiotic. I think those guys are untouchable. Dude, well, it's about the value of the position. And, like, would, would you do that for Patrick Mahomes? But would you do that for Patrick Mahomes? You, Why no. not? Here's my thing, dude. Washington just – literally Washington's offense was so bad and they just made the playoffs and played a really competitive game against the Buccaneers with Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Like if, if, Washington, if Washington can get like a semi-competent quarterback, if they can draft a guy, Mac Jones, at 19 and get some offensive line pieces and maybe another weapon on offense, they're off to the races. They're the best team in that division. Yeah. And Chase Young is a huge part of that. I think Chase Young is like – a transcendent talent. I think we all agree on that. And I think he's a captain in his first year. The guy looks like a friggin' eight-year veteran. The defensive coordinator is comparing him to Ray Lewis. Like, I just don't think that – maybe it's just me being conservative. I just don't think that that's a, that's a move piece in your organization, especially for a guy like Deshaun Watson, who I love just as much as anybody else. But it's like he, he just went 4-12 and in his best season. Like, let's – Put uh, when you talk about Mahomes, sure, I'll consider Chase Young for friggin' Mahomes because Mahomes is the, maybe the best quarterback ever. Maybe I, I shouldn't have said no to that so quickly, but it's like I, I think Chase Young is a guy that you kind of need to, as opposed to, hey, maybe we can deal this guy to get a quarterback. You need to start. How can we build our team around Chase Young? Because this is a guy who's going to be maybe a Hall of Famer for us on defense. Well, I just think realistically, this trade is so unprecedented. You know, if you Deshaun Watson is. Probably the second most valuable player in the NFL. Like I think he should be right now, just based on what he's shown. And you're getting a a franchise quarterback when he's 25. When if he takes care of himself and all the things go well, should be yeah, able. I mean, to... Do you guys think like Do you guys think like the optics of the the Stafford trade like changes things with Houston, where it's like if Houston doesn't get more than three first round picks, like it's horrible. It should. Well, what do you think the like? You know? That's what I'm saying. Like that's why you got to start thinking about this where. What should like the market price for Deshaun Watson be if he is the second most valuable quarterback in the NFL? And I feel like you kind of have to compare him to Mahomes just because Deshaun Watson is like being in Kansas City or being in you know a really good system. If he was in New Orleans for a while and they're like a complete wagon, um, you know, obviously he's still yeah. I just young. like don't think, but at the same time too, like why I think Miami is the most likely spot for him is because I don't think you can afford to really jeopardize the future of your team for, I mean, we're talking about teams like Washington, you know, the Jets and the Dolphins. Jets and Dolphins didn't make the playoffs last year. Washington only made it as is, because of well, their division. Like these are not strong teams completely, yet. Like, they completely. Can't, they can't be mortgaging their future for, for or I mean, they, they can mortgage obviously some of their future, but they can't sell out for Watson because it's a team sport. And we saw, obviously things were so much worse in Houston. They see her just outside of the roster situation. But, you know, not, you know, quarterbacks, I mean, we saw it with freaking Brady in, in, in New England last year, right? Yeah. Like you can't carry the team by yourself. Well, and to be fair, what they were, what they came to the conclusion of, which I completely agreed with, was like, San Francisco is in a much better position, like to trade Nick Bosa than Washington is to trade Chase Young. You know, like because of Lee, what you said, and Clep, what you said there too, and you know, San Francisco already has. I mean, we'll see how their defense is without Salah, but I still believe like in that organization as a whole. But and you know, Chase Young is probably has a higher ceiling than Nick Bosa just because of his physical tools. But like, if Nick Bosa doesn't tear his ACL this year, he's probably arguably the best defensive end in the NFL again, and is just like a complete stud. Um, so I just think it's really interesting if I'm a Houston Texans fan and it's like we need to trade Deshaun Watson and there's really no impetus for them to do it, you know, right away. 
Um, we'll see if he actually holds out, but the, he re-signed a contract with them. Um, that would be the package that I'm looking for. Like, Or if it's Miami, they brought up Xavier Howard. Like, I think Tua, Xavier Howard, and three first-round picks, like, that would that would get me thinking. Like, okay, we've got a stud. He's a little bit older, but we get a stud corner. We get a quarterback that is 21 years old, and all what you said, Clep, is true, but can at least start for this year. And we have the second or third overall pick where we can take another quarterback or we can trade back if we want and completely rebuild this roster. So that's what I think the offer has to look like. I just want to say... I just want to say something too, just like from a standpoint of if I'm like a GM or anything like that, when you talk about Watson being the second most valuable player in the NFL, which is really tough to disagree with, although once Trevor Lawrence comes in the NFL, maybe he assumes that role possibly based on, you know, how, how people are talking about him. I hate to say it, but like you have to take into account the fact that Deshaun Watson is like a tiny bit of a head case. And the way he's gone about this I don't think he's has a head not case, necessarily man. been... I think I think the way he's gone about this has been at the very least minorly unprofessional and at the worst just like unprofessional in the wrong way to go about it. And I'm not saying he doesn't have the right to be, state his claim and say he doesn't want to be on this team and give his reasons, but the way he's gone about it with the sneak dissing and with the Instagram and all this type of stuff, it's just like I I Patrick Mahomes would never do that. He would never do – I just don't think he would do that. And I think that you have to take that into account when you're talking about the quarterback in the face of your organization that you're going to be giving away possibly a Hall of Fame player and three first-round picks for. I just don't know if you necessarily want to invest everything in that. Um, and I think that that's just something you have to take into consideration. And I don't think that – I guess I'll just put it this way. I don't think Deshaun Watson, what he's done off the field this offseason has raised his stock at all. Um, I think that it's probably not the best look for him. And like I said, I want to be very clear. I'm not Brett Farving him and saying shut up and play. He absolutely did Brett Favre say that and say what he wants to. Yeah, he he basically did. He said you got you guys are yeah. getting paid way too much to uh, say anything. He totally should be able to say what he wants to say. I just think that there's in at almost every step of the way through this process, there's a better way Deshaun Watson could have gone about it. And as opposed to being, because the Houston Texans organization has done a god-awful job of handling the situation. And I feel like instead of being the bigger man in every situation, Deshaun Watson has taken some opportunities to kind of take low blows and to kind of be a little bit immature and childish about it. So I don't know if I'm willing to give up two first-round picks and Nick Bosa for a guy who's, you know, Instagramming about, you know, how he doesn't, how he wants to go to Denver or how he wants to go to the Bears or how, like, it's like, He's playing kind of childish games, and I do think that needs to be taken. That being now. said, we can wrap this up soon, but I do think like San Francisco is probably the only team that comes to mind that needs a quarterback that is in the position to do that because, Lee, you could be completely right, and he could get to Miami and it not go well, and we're in the same situation in three years, but I'm maybe I'm giving him too much credit where I just think the level of dysfunction in Houston is so off the charts where you have Andre Johnson and J.J. Watt and all these guys um, – you know, former players, Kareem Jackson, you know, all saying that, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, all kind of echoing those statements. And it seems to be a really dysfunctional organization from the top down. But if he were to, I think, you know, if he were to get into a place like San Francisco where you have that structure, and that's that's basically like putting Mahomes in Kansas City, I think. It's basically putting that type of generational talent in a really good organization with a really good head coach, a really good roster, have great offensive weapons, have a really good run game, and have a really good defense even without Nick Bosa. Um, you know, I think that's, I think that's a really interesting situation. And if I'm a Niners fan, like obviously it, it sucks to part way with 
you know, one of the best defensive players in the league, and he's 22 or 23. But you have to think of the high high end upside of of Deshaun Watson and just how much that moves the needle to have a quarterback like him. All right, boys. Before we wrap it up, should we do one quick uh, one quick trivia for you guys? Yes, please. Sure. I don't think I don't know. I don't think I, I've done this this one before. Um, he's a running back. Ran a four three. And was drafted in the third round of the 06 draft. Jamal Charles? Nope. 06. Round three, 06, running back, ran a 4-3. That's, that's the Reggie Bush draft. Man. I was going to say no Sean Moreno, but he was like no. 08. Um, College ball was in the SEC, but at Mississippi State. Mississippi State. Boy. I might be stumped on this one, one, Clepper. One sec, one sec. Mississippi State, 06. 4-3. War number 32 in the league for the Atlanta Falcons. Ooh. Is that... Uh, No, Michael Turner was 33. Yeah, Michael Turner went to the Chargers from Northern Illinois. Yeah. This is um, 32, 32 for the, the Falcons. Falcons. I should know this, man. That was right in my... Uh... Prime a, lot of, a lot of punt and Prime. You know, kick return, kind of punt return type of dude, too. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, it must have been. Because Warwick Dunn, I, I assume, was probably still the starter then. Maybe he wasn't. This is, a, this is a deep. This is a deep. This is deep. I like it. I like it, oh, Clef. I'm kind of stumped. Oh, man. It's not Dexter McCluster. He was Ole Miss. No, he's Ole Miss. I'm tapping out. <clears throat> give me give me five seconds. I'm gonna try and muster up something. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, you know, or no, it's who was the quarterback? Schwab was the quarterback then? Uh, I'm gonna tap out. I'm gonna tap out, Club. Jurius Norwood. Oh my gosh. <sighs> wow, that's good, that's good dude. Jurius really Norwood, <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Oh man. <laughs> oh, all right, boys. What a pod! Good one. Super Bowl weekend, man. Get excited. <laughs>